Good morning, everybody. If, for any of you guys that don't know me, my name's Amanda. If you guys could all stand with me, we're just going to read from Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 20 through, 22 through 24 says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to, the, to Mahara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mahara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Thank you, Amanda. The people grumbled against Moses. You all can have a seat. They grumbled against Moses. They were just rescued out of, the prom out of Egypt, and God is saying, I'm taking you to the promised land. They face a trial. They face a detour. And they grumble. Anybody been there? Anybody get into some grumbling this past week? Yeah. Young Avery, young Avery Garden is getting baptized today. At the end of this service, he is getting baptized. Baptism symbolizes that he was saved from a kind of slavery. He was saved from a former way of life, just like the Israelites were. And he is being led to an ultimate promised land where Jesus, he's going to return for his people. He's going to give us new resurrected bodies. He's going to renew the earth. And we are going to reign with him forever and ever and ever. But between this day where Avery's getting baptized and it's the start of his spiritual journey, it symbolizes the beginning of his journey. And that day, when he arrives in the ultimate promised land that Jesus has for his people, between those two days, there's going to be some wandering for Avery. There's going to be some ups and downs, some trials, some difficulties, some confusing moments. There's going to be some detours in life. And what is Avery going to be tempted to do? Grumble. Who said it? <laughs> His dad said it. That's right. He's going to be tempted to grumble like you and I are tempted to grumble in those moments. When we experience a lack of something, which we do in this life, when we experience the lack of food, shelter, water, job, provision, money, can't find our iPhones, can't figure a plan out, don't have closure on an issue, don't have clarity on a confusing situation, what do we tend to do? First, we worry. Oh, no. We, we, we worry about the future, and then we start to complain and grumble about the present or about the past. I shouldn't have made that. I shouldn't have trusted so-and-so. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. Then we start to blame. So here's my hope for today. My hope is that God would show us that those moments of confusion and difficulty and even bitterness are opportunities for us to grow either in our grumbling or in our trusting. That's the title for today. Grumbling or trusting. Are we going to grow as grumblers when we face those kinds of situations? Or are we going to grow as trusters in those situations? 
We're going to be in Exodus 15, starting in verse 22, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 16, verse 3. Let me pray as we begin. Jesus, help us. Help True Life Church and friends and family of True Life Church today. Speak to us. Help us to see, when we leave here today, help us to have eyes to see those types of situations that the Israelites faced and that, that Avery's going to face and that, we're all, that we all face on a regular basis. Help us to see them as opportunities to grow in our trust of you and our faith in you and to fight our temptation to grow as grumblers. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. Let's jump right into it. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Now, by the way, last week we talked about how right after they got out of the Red Sea, they stopped and they praised God. They celebrated. They, they did a worship song to God. They, so they went from this moment of gratitude, and then Moses is like, all right, we got to get moving. We're going. So then they set out. They went into the desert of Shur for three days. They traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah means bitter. So they begin their journey. They're wandering, if you will, in the, in the wilderness. There's a map. After they cross the Red Sea, they're going into the desert. They go down to Mara for three days. On their way to Mara for three days, they could not find any water to drink. Now that is a lack, is it not? That is a season of need, correct? You can go three days without coffee and some of us want to die. We're like, life, it's horrible. You go three days without food and it's very, very uncomfortable. But you, you can live. But you go three days without water. And, and medical experts say that's as long as you can go. Bear Grylls, the survivor guy, said you can't go any longer than three days without water. At that point, you are on the brink of death. You are on the brink of your body shutting down forever. That's what was going on for the Israelites. They were on the brink of dying. Then they get to Mara and there's water. Praise God, finally. But what did it say? The, the water was bitter. The, the, the other versions say brackish. It, it was salty, in other words. You couldn't drink it. It would make things worse. Salty water will just pull out any remaining water from your cells and kill you. It will be the nail in the coffin, literally. I read the book last year, uh, Indianapolis, about the worst sea disaster in U.S. naval history. It's a story of the ship Indianapolis that went down at the end of World War II in the Pacific. 900 men went into the sea alive. Only 316 were pulled out a few days later because they had to face 
injuries. They had to face dehydration. They had to face shark attacks and insanity. Some of them would start to go delusional. They would fight with each other. Some of them would fight with each other, but they would go delusional from being dehydrated that they started to think that the ocean water was like, was like a well in the desert and they would start to drink it. And that would, that would kill them. That would fry their brains. It would suck out any remaining water. They would die. That's what was going on for the Israelites here. They're on the brink of death. They find water, but the water itself could kill them. Now, if that was me, and some of them have kids. You get, your kids are dying of thirst. You'd be like, what the heck, God? Where are you? You just rescued us from Egypt, and now what? You've abandoned us. Did God go left and we went right? Did Moses lead us the wrong way? What's going on here? So they responded. Verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses. Moses is leading them. What are we to drink? So they don't ask it with sincerity and, and humility. They don't say, hey, Moses, we're just curious if you just had any thoughts on whether or not there's going to be something for us to drink soon. <laughs> They're grumbling. It's a grumbling attitude. It's, where, where, Moses, where's the water? My family's dying. What the heck is going on here? And some scholars, you know, Bible teachers, I've heard them criticize the Israelites and say, they just saw all these miracles in Egypt and now they're already grumbling. I don't know. I'm not a very empathetic guy, but I have a lot of empathy for these, for these folks. Three days without water, man, you lose your internet for three days and some of us are like, where's God? How could he forget about me? I've got so much to do. Right? Three days without water. I understand their grumbling. They're facing a lack and their bodies, their literal physical bodies are sending sirens and signals to their brain going, you get water or you die now. That's what was going on. And so as they face this lack, it leads them to worry. And in their worrying, they start to grumble and complain. And in their grumbling, they start to blame Moses. That's what we do. That's kind of the sequence. We, we lack something, clarity, money, provision, a job. We worry about it. What am I going to do? We can't figure out what we're going to do. There's no, there's no situ, uh, solutions on the horizon that we can see. And then we start to grumble and complain. My life is, is horrible. My, my life stinks. Is this my life forever? I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe I'm alone. I can't believe I'm still single. I can't believe this spouse of mine ain't changing. I can't believe my kids are this. And then we look for someone to blame. If only... If only I didn't marry so-and-so. If only my boss was such-and-such. Such. If only my kids would X, Y, and Z. If only my friend didn't betray me. If only God. If only I didn't obey God. If only I didn't trust God. If only I stopped going to church back then, you know, I, people, people wouldn't have hurt me. We look for someone to blame and point the finger at. And that's what young Avery is going to face in this life. He's going to be tempted to worry, to complain, to grumble. But what should he do instead? 
Yeah, let's, let's look what Moses did. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. So Moses didn't say, guys, 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 I got an idea. He didn't say, guys, listen, I, I know, but, you know, let me reassure you of. He just turned right to the Lord and cried out to the Lord. He's got all these people on his back complaining and grumbling, and he just cried out to the Lord. And sometimes that's all you can do. Moses, the one that the people are, he's the leader who has no idea what's going on. Anybody ever been a leader of something and you have no idea what's going on? You have no idea where you're going and people are looking at your answers. You're, maybe you're leading your family. You're leading an organization. You're leading a group and people are looking at you for some answers. And you're like, I got no idea. I've been there a few times this past year as a pastor of the church. And I have found it to be freeing and very rich when you could admit and acknowledge, I got nothing. I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond to that. Or my response just made it worse. God, help me. I'm helpless here. But there's something very freeing when you can acknowledge and admit, God, I'm helpless. And I have found that saying it out loud, like literally in the past few weeks, I've found myself practicing the acknowledgement and the confession of being helpless. God, this situation's frustrating. It's ticking me off. I feel like I want to persuade this person of X, Y, and Z, and I can't. Or, or, or I, have, I need to respond to this, and I don't know what to say. God, this, this, I, it's just confusing. I can't even think straight about this one. God, I'm helpless. Saying it out loud is like, is like injecting a shot of like chamomile tea into my veins. It's like what some people look to medication for or, or, or drugs for. And, and I'm not condemning those things, or at least I'm not condemning the responsible use of those things. Um, but I would condemn the abuse of those things. But I am saying that there's something powerful in acknowledging out loud and saying out loud, God, I'm helpless here. There's like a, it sends a calming wave over my body. And that's what Moses did. He cried out to the Lord. He's expressing helplessness to God. What happened? Verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord, he responds. He showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. The water changed as a result of this wood. Now, the wood wasn't magical. God just did a miracle, and for some reason, God chose to use a piece of wood to do the miracle. Some scholars had speculated that the piece of wood is a foreshadow of the cross of Jesus. Because just like that piece of wood led to the salvation of these waters, they were, or the salvation of these people by being able to drink the water, so the cross of Jesus, a piece of wood, a Roman cross is the means by which we get to drink living water through Jesus' sacrifice. Either way, God did the miracle. He turned brackish, bitter, salty water into drinkable water that saved their lives. And then God did this. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. So he, he took this and said, this is a moment for you guys, a teaching moment, a moment for you to grow. Listen, verse 26, he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God 
and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. Translated the Lord who heals you, your healer. Now whenever God reveals a new name about himself. This is the first time he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. He was revealing something about his character, his nature, his being. He wasn't just saying, hey guys, I'm a, I have the ability to do some miracles for your health. No, he was saying, this is who I am. I am your healer. This is part of my character. This is part of my nature. I heal if you pay attention, if you align yourself under me as king, you will enjoy the benefits of my kingdom. If you align yourself under my rule and my reign, you will enjoy the benefits of my kingdom. If you step out from outside of that and you try to go your own way and you try to do your own thing and you try to be your own God and you try to take matters into your own hands, you're going to you're going to make a mess of, of things. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They said, God, we don't need you. We're going to step out. We're going to eat this fruit that you told us not to eat. We're going to stop trusting you. We can do this ourselves. We can be our own gods. And it fractured everything. Just like if my kids, right now they live under the house that me and Jess uh, rule and reign over. <laughs> and so as such, they experience the benefits of our protection. If somebody was to break in in the middle of the night, my kids don't have to go down and face that person who broke in. I go down first and either fight them off or die trying. They don't have to, but if they decided, we're going to strike out on our own. We don't need you, mom and dad. And at nine, seven, and four years old, they go and get their own place. And somebody breaks in in the middle of the night. We're not there to protect them. They're doing it their own way. And that's kind of what God's saying here. If you pay attention, if you do what is right in my eyes, if you follow my decrees, you will experience all of who I am, all of who I want to be to you as your God. And this is why it says in verse 25, oh, back it up, in verse 25, is he put them to the test. In other words, he wanted them to know, guys, there's going to be moments where you're going to be tempted to not trust me. Choose trust, choose faith, choose to believe I got you. There's going to be moments when you're going to be led down confusing, long, windy roads that are going to make you scratch your head. You're going to face even bitter situations in this life. And you're going to be tempted to stop trusting me. You're going to be tempted to worry. And in your worrying, you're going to be tempted to react with grumbling, with bitterness. You're going to be tempted to react to bitter situations with bitter responses. Don't do it. Believe that I can take a situation with no known solutions, no known answers, and I can do a miracle. I can make a way. I can bring healing when doctors can't figure it out. I can bring provision when you have no idea where it might come from. I can do that. Trust me. In other words, bitter situations are opportunities There it is. Uh, 
Bitter situations are opportunities to grow in our uh, grumbling or our trusting. We will grow one way or the other. We will grow as a grumbling. We will give in to a grumbling, complaining spirit, and that has the power to take a hold on us. And we can get stuck in that. Or in our trusting of God. You got me. You're faithful. You're a healer. You're a provider. I'm going to trust you. We're going to pray for folks at the end of service who need healing, need provision. And I know some people might be wondering, well, wait a second. What I saw there was God saying, if you obey me, if you follow my decrees, if you heed my commands, then I will heal you. And you might be thinking, well, ah, gee golly, Pastor Chris, I've screwed up pretty big time lately. I haven't been very obedient lately. I, I've dropped the ball. I've sinned against God. I've messed up. I've hurt people. Is God still going to heal me? Is he still going to provide for me? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. When God made that covenant with his people, God knew something. He knew that they were going to fail miserably to follow through on their end of the bargain. They were going to fail miserably. I mean, you read the, the Old Testament. It's just, it's just failure after failure after failure to obey God. So God did the unthinkable. God said, you know what? Instead of cutting you off, instead of giving up on you, I'm going to come down and I'm going to fulfill your end of the deal in your place. And he came down and he put on flesh, God the Son, and he lived the obedient life. The true son, the true seed of Abraham was obedient in our place. Perfectly obedient to the Father. Perfectly following his commands and his decrees. Fulfilled the law in our place. And died on that piece of wood. So that anybody who clings to him in faith is aligning themselves under God and under his rule and reign. And can then experience the benefits of all that God is. So when we come to God with our needs... Today, when you come for prayer, when you cry out to him, you're not crying out in your own name. You're not saying, God, I need healing. And man, I, 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 this past month I was so good. So I deserve it. God, I need provision. And man, you, you, I'm entitled to this because the last six months, you should have seen how I've been behaving. No. No, we don't come in our own name. We come in the name of Jesus who fulfilled the law perfectly in our place. Hebrews talks about us coming boldly to the throne of grace with confidence. Not confidence in our own abilities, not confidence in what we've done. And that's why if you failed miserably, you can come to God and go, God, I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve for you to provide for me. And God's like, well, yeah, I know, I know, I already knew that. But we said, but I'm coming to you in Christ's name. I'm clinging to Jesus. And that's what he looks for. That's how we align ourselves under him. That's how we get into God's family, by trusting in Jesus. That's what, that's what, Avery, that's what the baptism symbolizes. Avery's trusted in Jesus. He's part of a new family. He, he was spiritually an orphan. 
prior to trusting in Jesus. When he goes down underwater, it symbolizes the orphan's dead. The orphan's gone. And he comes back up. He's a son of a king. He's a child of the, the creator of the universe. He doesn't have to worry anymore, grumble anymore like an orphan. Orphans have a good reason to grumble and complain. But those who have been adopted by the king of the universe, we don't need to anymore. And that's what God was trying to show the people of Israel. I got you. You're not slaves anymore. You belong to me. Trust me here. And as a way to confirm this promise that he just made, look what it says. At the end of chapter 15, then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. Here's a map of Elim. They go down further south from Mara to Elim and there's springs there. So they went from no water to bitter water to good water to now an abundance of water where they can rest, take a reprieve, drink. And God was like, guys, this is confirmation. This is me showing you. I got you. Oh, yeah, there are going to be times when you feel like you're at the brink. You're at the end. You can't go any further, but I got you. There's going to be confusing situations, bitter situations, but they're only for a season. I got you. Cling to me. Trust me. And then that rolls right into chapter 16, where we're going to keep going. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So here's a map again. They went from Elim eastward to the wilderness of Sin, Okay, so they set out. Now, after God did all the plagues, after God led them through the Red Sea, after God turned water that was bitter into good water, after God led them to Elim where there was an abundance of water, you would think, okay, the next situation that's going to be a little disappointing, the next situation that's going to be a little confusing, uncomfortable, we're going to choose to trust God. You would, you would hope, right? right? Look what happens. Verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. <laughs> they grumbled again against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Talk about drama queens. Can anybody here acknowledge that when you face difficult situations, sometimes you're a drama queen? You catastrophize? You come to conclusions that aren't really there? You connect dots that have no business being connected? Hmm? You ever do that? Because our lack, when we respond with our old orphan spirit, we face lack and we start to worry. Oh no, I got to figure this out. We don't have a solution. We start to grumble. We start to complain. And then we look for someone to blame. God, whoever, Moses, our leaders, Moses and Aaron, how could you? 
Life was good back then. And look, look what they say. They say life was good back when we were slaves. You know why they said that? Because when we give in to grumbling and complaining, it actually distorts how we remember things. You know that? You ever notice that? Thank you, Robin. Honest, Robin. When you give in to grumbling and complaining, it distorts your memory of things. It has an effect on your brain. They're like, back when we were slaves, we had all the food we wanted. Now, if you remember, if you were here for the study of Exodus, that's not what they were saying. They were complaining about it being so harsh. They were complaining that Moses made the slavery more harsh. They wanted out. They were happy to leave Egypt. But now they're like, gee golly, the old days, they were the glory days. Right? You ever do that? The old days were good. Back when I worked at this job, man, life was so much better. Right? Back when I was single, life was so better. Back before kids, man, I had all the freedom in the world. And, you know, we, we do that. Back then, back then, back then. And, and the grass is always greener on the other side. If only I was like so-and-so. If only I didn't marry so-and-so. If only I didn't have this boss. If only my parents. We look for people to blame for our situation because we feel like we're stuck. And we feel like this isn't going to work out. And we say things like, this is my life now. How could you, God? Maybe I shouldn't have trusted you. Maybe I shouldn't have opened myself up. Maybe I shouldn't have forgiven that person because now they can hurt me again. We give in to that spirit. It distorts our memory. That's where these guys were. Because again, bitter situations are opportunities to grow in our grumbling or our trusting. We will go one way or the other. And the Israelites... They just, they're still acting like orphans. They're still acting like slaves. You can take the people out of Egypt, but you need the power of God to take Egypt out of the people. And young Avery's going to have those moments in life. And he needs parents, he needs family, he needs his church family around him to remind him, hey, Avery, remember, you belong now to the king of the universe. You've got his spirit in you. He's changing you. So as we end, as we prepare to close, as we prepare to pray for people who need healing and provision, I want to quickly sum up what we've seen so far in this story. I want to reflect on these things. I'm going to call the band up as we do so. Come on up, band. We're just going to list off six things, real brief. If you have notes, if you're taking notes, you can write them down. If you want to just take a snapshot of the screen with your phone, you can do that. But let's just walk through these six things. These are things that we've seen. Number one, God will lead us down paths where we will face confusing and even bitter situations. Yeah, God will do that. That's what we saw. God led them down paths where we will face confusing and bitter. Anybody been there lately? Anybody there now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're watching online, you can put it in the chat. Yeah, me, me too. I'm there. Yeah. Number two, we may not see any solutions or ways out. We may come to the end of ourselves, the end of our ideas, the end of our strength, the end of our power, the end of our knowledge, the end of our perceived brilliance, 
We have no way out, no solutions, no way to fix it. Parents, you ever been there with your kids? I don't know what to do anymore. You ever been there with your marriage? You, you ever been there with a friendship? You ever been there with a, a, a job situation? You, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. I'm banging my head. Somebody told me recently, I feel like I'm banging my head against a wall. I'm out of options. Number three. We will be tempted to worry, grumble, and blame. That will be our temptation. That is our flesh. That is our pride. That is our natural response. You see it in your kids, don't you? When they're small. When, 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 right now, it's our youngest because of her age. But if she asks for something and you say no, if she asks to, you know, play a game on your phone, you say no, or you want to watch a show and you say no, she has a tendency to say something so extreme like, I'm never going to see that show ever again. <laughs> and being the imperfect parent that I am, I will admit, I like to agree with them when they do that. <laughs> say, you're right. You will never see that show again. It's sad to me as well. <laughs> you will never see it again. I'm not going to argue with you and say, no, don't worry, you will. No, you never see it again. Life is so hard. But that's our temptation. We catastrophize. We connect dots that have no business being connected. And we point the finger. And we look for someone to blame. That's our temptation. Can we acknowledge it? None of us are above that. Hmm? Number four. God wants to use those situations to grow our faith. He wants to use it to deepen our roots in Him, to cling to Him in a deeper way. This morning I was reading Acts 16, which is almost like the opposite picture of what the Israelites did here. Paul and Silas are they're put in prison for preaching about Jesus and healing somebody in Jesus' name, and they're put in prison. They're shackled in, the, in, in Philippi. But they start worshiping. And it says at midnight, while shackled, they were worshiping God and singing hymns, singing hymns to him. They decided, we're not going to give in to a complaining spirit. We're going to praise our God. And you know what happened? An earthquake came, broke the chains free. The doors flew open. A miracle took place. They were let loose. And then they did the unthinkable. They stopped. They said, whoa, 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 we're not leaving yet. The jailer who was going to be in trouble for them escaping was about to kill himself. They said, whoa, we're still here. Don't kill yourself. The jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They get to talk to him about Jesus. He trusts in Jesus. He goes back to his house. They tell the whole family about Jesus. The whole family is baptized. Instantly, some of you might want to get baptized today if you're trusting in Jesus. You can join Avery out there. And then they are the beginning of the church at Philippi. And it started with Paul and Silas deciding, we're going we're gonna to use this moment as an opportunity not to grumble, worry, complain, but to grow in our faith and praise and worship God and trust Him. 
So that's number five. We must cry out to him in our helplessness. God, I don't know what to do. I have no solutions here. But you're God. And you can make a way when there is no way. You're a promise keeper. You're a miracle worker. You love me. You're faithful to me. You're my father. You got me. And then we can be faithful to obey him. God, what's the next step for me to take? Now, I know we like to, we want 10 steps before we take one, don't we? Hey, God, show me, show me the next 10 steps. And if I like the plan, I'll take that first step. Right? right? That's what we do. God, what do I do here? And God's leading us to take one step of obedience. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if I want to take that step. Like we're asking for financial provision and God's showing us we need to forgive our sister. And we're like, well, those two have nothing in common. They're not connected to each other. So uh, I'm going to put that one on the back burner. Tell me what to do about my finances. And God's like, go forgive your sister. Walk in obedience. Trust me over there. And you walk in obedience over here. And sometimes God, there is no, there's no next steps that he gives us. So you know what we do then? We just wait and continue to worship him and praise him and trust him. And then lastly, number six, God will be faithful to his people. It really should say to his sons and daughters. Because that's what we are. His sons and daughters. When we trust in Jesus, we're adopted into his family. And what dad? I'm imperfect, right? I say stupid things to my kids, but I'm certainly going to give them healing and provision where they need it. How much more our God in heaven who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things, the Bible says. So, Pastor Rigo, Joni Berry, they're going to be down here available to pray with you. If you need healing and if you need provision, you guys can come down. But, before they pray for you for healing and provision, maybe it's physical healing, by the way, and maybe it's emotional healing. Sometimes we react in grumbling and complaining because a situation triggers a past wound, and we're still reacting out of that wound like we're orphans, and God wants to touch that part of our soul, and maybe he wants to do that today. So they'll pray for anything with healing and provision. However, they're also going to ask, hey, do you have a grumbling and complaining spirit that you need to confess first and trust that God's going to forgive, but that he also wants to heal you and deliver you from? Because as much as God may want to heal you physically, he may also first want to heal you of a grumbling and complaining spirit. Before he provides for you financially, he may want to provide you with a deeper faith and peace and rest in him. So they're going to ask you, do you have a grumbling spirit to confess? So Joni will be over here. Pastor Rigo will be over here. And we're just going to sing a song called Waymaker. Declaring who God is together. And then we'll move on to our baptism. Okay? So let's stand and let's sing this song. Let's praise Him. Especially for those of you going through a storm. Amen?